Hi, my name is John. And my name's Chris. And, and this, this is Stay on, on Target. Hey, everybody, welcome to Stay on Target. We are your hosts. You can find us online at stayontargetpodcast.com. That's right, this is episode 118. 118. The Fantastic Four Unreview. The Fantastic Four Unreview. We'll explain that later. Is it like your unbirthday? Um. Yeah, what was the definition? Like, what made up an unbirthday? Well, it was it was just, every day is your unbirthday. Yeah, every day is your unbirthday, other than your birthday. I mean, I guess that, uh, yeah, sure, it's like an unbirthday because this is, we did not review Fantastic Four. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an unreview. It's an unreview. We're going to talk about Fantastic we're Four. We're undoing the review. Yeah, we're going to talk about it a lot. A lot. But uh, but I don't know if we're, we're going to review it, so. Well, yeah. this, this is a different, this is more stuff for later. Yes, this is all. You're stuff ruining for later. the surprise. I apologize. I'm I'm spoilers for a, a few minutes from now. <laughs> <laughs> so John, what have you been up to this week? Uh well, a lot of things actually. Ooh. Um there's uh, Tell me, tell me, tell me. Well, there's been um some some gaming. Ah. And there's been all right, what, what kind of gaming? Well, there's been just uh all sorts of gaming, Chris. <laughs> so <laughs> all the, ambiguous. all the gaming. I'm this just going to make... leave it super ambiguous okay. here. But uh, but we've had some fun times, um, and uh, yeah, I've, I've been playing some some DS. I've been playing some uh, some uh, Vita, and we played some PlayStation. Yes, and uh, then we played some some Xbox as well. So I mean, everything. Literally, I've touched every mm-hmm. game console other than a Nintendo uh, Wii U this week. That's amazing. Yeah, we. Um we played some Gauntlet Legends. Or wait, yeah. not Gauntlet Legends, Gauntlet Slayer, Slayer Edition. Edition. It's yeah. just regular Gauntlet. Like I think they, they removed the 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 second word right from this one. They they rebooted it. Right. We will um we will talk about that more next week yes. on next week's podcast. For sure. Uh but yeah, so uh so nothing else to add about what you've been up to? I mean, not not really. You saw some movies though. I I, I was thinking about seeing uh, oh, Mission, Mission Impossible, Impossible three. Yeah, you saw, saw Mission Impossible. Oh man, I forgot about that. Yeah, dude, um, I saw Mission Impossible three. It was great. Nice. You should totally go see it. The motorcycle scene. That's oh my gosh! All I'll say say about that. So it's completely spoiler free, but there are motorcycles in this. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't feel, I don't feel like that's a a. Uh, so Mission Impossible really 2, a spoiler. we talked about, has that scene where they drive the motorcycles yeah, at each other. It's not like that. Kind of jousting style. This one literally, like, I was like, oh, man. Like, it, like, it was like, it was, it made me, it, it almost made me, uncom- it was so intense. Okay. Yeah. It made me uncomfortable. Like, you, you weren't comfortable in your seat? And like, exactly. Was it the, edge of your seat kind of stuff? Yes. And the visuals are so insane. Nice. Okay. That, um... Like I, it's it's hard to comprehend <laughs> like that the reaction that I had, and it was like some like it comes comes out of nowhere. You don't really know how to process it at first, dude. And uh, even if I was expecting it, I would. It's like oh, oh man, okay, I I need to like now that I know that that's what's happening. Okay, I need to go back and watch this again. So so I just I need to go see this movie is what you're telling me. You need I, to go see this movie. I I have really enjoyed the last few Mission Impossible. It's the best Mission Impossible. Really? Yes. Uh, Just your... Let me rank them in terms okay. of my opinion. Okay. All right. Going to go this one. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Yep. Um, then Mission Impossible 3. Yep. Then Mission Impossible 1. Okay. Then Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Mm-hmm. Then Mission Impossible 2. So the way I would rank them right now is mm-hmm. 3, mm-hmm. Uh, Ghost Protocol, which would be in 4, and then probably number... 
one and then two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this one goes above all of those, is what you're telling me. It's it's going to end up oh, on yeah. the top of the list. I mean, list. I, I can't I can't speak for you, but it says for me, yes, it mm. rocketed to the top of the list. It rocketed. Just yes. <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, I'm gonna have to see it, dude. Another thing that I've been doing this week, mm. I wanted to li- like throw this out there. Hunt the Truth, a podcast. Oh man. Oh yeah. my goodness. Should save that for a pick of the week, John. Oh, do you want to do a pick of the week? No. You don't, you don't want to go do a pick of the week? I, I do for next week's episode. Oh, so I, sh- I should save that and talk about that for next week's episode. Yes. So full full disclosure, next week uh, we are going to have a, uh, a pre-recorded episode for you. Yeah. Uh, but it's going to be full of all of the awesomeness. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, so so yeah, that it's going to be full of amazing things. You basically already know the picks of the week. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to tease, it, tease, it, tease you with all of this stuff, and, and we're going to tell you all about it later on. Yes. So, um, yeah. Hunt the Truth, great podcast. Yep. Um, I also watched the uh, season finale of True Detective, nice. season two. Um, was it, w- it as good as season... Like, after season one, mm-hmm. everybody was raving. The world mm-hmm. was uh, on fire. Mm-hmm. How is this one? Um, if I was... The season as a whole? Yeah. Season two? Um, it is, it's not even close to season one. It didn't capture the magic. Um, it... Uh, that's the thing. Like, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to take it... Like, it's one thing to look at it objectively like on its own but then like you kind of have to take it knowing what the writer was kind of dealing with from season one Hmm. and so like you know um so you're saying that it could have been doomed to fail from the beginning it's it's so hard to follow up that that season Uh, it was lightning in a bottle and i like if this had just come out and it just came out like i don't I don't know that would like have a huge following, but so it, so it, if this one was season one, mm-hmm. would it get another season? Yeah, I think so. But it but it may not have lit the world on fire like the like the first season did. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Um, and even the season finale, I was looking at numbers earlier today, and um, I think uh, the season finale last year was like three point um, five million viewers or something like that. And this, this season was like 2.5 or something. It was down like a million viewers for the season finale. So like, uh, it didn't hit the ratings, um, Mm. like the, the last season did. We don't know. Like they've, uh, HBO said, Hey, if, um, if, uh, they want to do a third season, um, we're up for it. So like if they want to do it, then it'll happen. So nice. And so they're just kind of leaving it up to the creators. I like, I like that idea of like, Hey, if you've got more to tell on this thing, go ahead. You know, it's your, it's, it's wide open for yeah. you to do it. Um, but Hey, you know, if they want to move on to something else, a different type of story, different yeah. narrative, Hey, that's fine too. But I really liked it. You know, this season was a lot more kind of film film. I can't talk film noirish. It's hard to say that film noirish film film noirish. Yeah. See film noir. Yeah. And, um, and so it had a different kind of tone, uh, a bigger ensemble type cast. Yeah. Uh, although I really, man, like I really uh, was impressed by Vince Vaughn's performance. I I do think like some of his dialogue was just kind of like you know sloppily written. Um, and then, uh, but I like, think the standout was definitely Colin Farrell. Hmm. Like phenomenal job, and like his character, like just the character arc that his character goes through, and just the the way in which he, you know, realistically portrays this character is amazing. And, uh, it was, it was a good season. It was fun. I liked it a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, 
Now, what about? Isn't there another se- another show you were watching? Is that is Ballers wrapping up anytime soon? Oh, it has two more episodes left. So like, gotcha. it was weird because like a lot of most of the time HBO like the once one season. I mean, yeah, the seasons usually end all at once. Right, you know? and, like and it's, it's usually reason, there's like a week where everything's over. Yeah, I had like two more episodes than everything else, which is weird. Kind of funny, but hmm. well, you'll have to update us whenever that one ends and, and let us know how season one of that show is yeah. too. So yeah, um, so Chris, yes. Last week, at the end of the podcast, yes. we talked about Stephen Amell. Oh, we did going to right. WWE uh, Monday Night Raw. I watched it. John. Oh my goodness, he was there. He was there. <laughs> he was there in the audience. He was in the audience, and um, so there was a fight going on with yep. uh, Neville. Someone. Yep. Whatever his last name is. Yep. Well, they nicknamed him the Red Arrow. The Red Arrow, right? right? Yep. That's and he just won, and then Stardust comes out of nowhere and starts kicking him right in the face. Yeah. And then he runs over to Stephen Amell and gets right in his face. Yeah, and like pushes his head, push it like whenever whenever Stephen looks away, he like pushes him, pushes him back down in the seat yeah. or whatever. So then Stephen comes after Stardust, tackles him, and just starts wailing on him. Yeah, he like jumped the uh, jumped the fence, climbed up into the ring, and then just laid Stardust out flat on his yeah. back and yeah. started just pummeling him yeah it was an amazing three, show of rage three large security guard type bald men had to pull steven off of stardust so i wonder if it is a requirement for you to be a security guard there that you shave your head completely i mean it's kind of, you know uh probably because you think about uh do you remember uh you ever watched zuri springer mm. that's that's what all of his security guards always look like oh is whenever, it whenever like you know the 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 i gotcha so, so they they they, they, they <laughs> the have a, fit, whenever the families would like just fight each other. So, or whenever anything anything goes down in 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 uh, in one of these scenarios, you just look for the for the bald people. Yes, and like it's like their uniform. Yep. You know yes. the, the you know the the black t shirt and the bald. It you know big muscles. Yeah, they're coming in to, to exactly. save the day or to, to keep you from from killing someone else. So then Triple H got upset at Stephen Amell and said, yeah. you know, I I invite you in as my honored guest. Yeah, and into my house, and this is what you do. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, then they said, you know, Stardust started it, and he said, Triple H said, well, I'm finishing it, and uh, then uh, Stephen Amell made his case for why he should get to fight Stardust. Yeah, later at, this month. At SummerSlam. Yeah. Two weeks from last Monday, which I guess makes it one week from this coming Monday. <laughs> so is it, the, it wait, is it, isn't it Sunday or whatever? Isn't it on like the 23rd or something? Uh, could, yeah, it probably is on a Sunday, actually. Yeah, so it's on, it's on it's the 23rd. On and so they have an official fight. Him, it's the red arrow, uh-huh. and then the green arrow uh-huh. fighting, uh, fighting Stardust and uh, and whatever his somebody else his team member's name is. Yes, yes. But it, all that matters is Stephen Amell and Stardust are going to fight each other. All that really matters is that Stephen Amell, the green arrow, the green arrow is fighting. Yes, it's true. I love there was a, he tweeted out afterwards. He tweeted out a, a picture of his fist. Uh, and it had uh, some of Stardust's paint <laughs> on his fist. Yes. And he was just like, yes. That's amazing. So it, it's pretty awesome, dude. Stardust was pretty shocked. He was really shocked. Like, yeah. I I, uh, I don't know. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. I don't know. I mean, he's just been taunting uh, Stephen Amell this whole time, you uh, know? This is not a good idea. I mean, I wouldn't taunt Stephen Amell. No. No, not at all. Um, speaking of, um, this is some news we could yeah. talk about. Oh, you want to go into the news? Sure. Speaking of Arrow, yeah. Um, so the some news came out today that um, it is possible 
that we could get a crossover between the Arrow and Flash universe and CBS's Supergirl. So what's interesting about that is we've posited that it's possible all along because uh, the CW is owned by uh, C- CBS's parent company. Like the parent company owns both of them. Um, and so it's possible like because, you know, they're owned by the same company that they could cross over. But I guess it was like a, a month or so ago, one of the Supergirl execs was in an interview and was very, very resistant to that idea right. of, uh, of of them crossing over or whatever. Right. And then uh, I guess in an interview this week, it was asked about um, whether or not a crossover would be possible again. And they actually softened their stance on it a little bit. Her name is Nina Tassler. Uh, she seemed more open to it this year, um, this this week. And so when asked if such a crossover is inevitable down the line, she replied, here's the deal. I'm a little bit of a superhero geek, and I have a lot of respect for what characters inhabit certain universes. And people think, oh, yeah, just pick up one character and let them fly over. If you're in another setting, you really have to be respectful and mindful of what each universe says you can and can't do. Obviously, we're working very closely with DC, and our producers and Greg Berlanti is sort of the poster child for this field. So I'm just saying right now we're not doing it. We're doing it promotionally, but look, we'll always stay open to it. They're very, very inventive in terms of what they can and will do in the future. CW president Mark Pedowitz also said, I leave that to Greg Berlanti and his team. If they can make it work, that's great. If they cannot, that's fine, but we're open to crossovers. As you know, we are going to do some cross-promotion together in terms of pushing all the shows, but that's Greg's call because he understands his shows better than I do in some ways because he's there. Um... So, Interesting. Yeah. I mean, so so basically, we have we have uh, we there's a possibility, and so if if the I think both companies have said if the writer and you know the showrunner can figure it out, like if they can figure out how to make it work and right. how to make it not just destroy both universes, that it could possibly happen. Right. Um. Which is which is fun. Yeah. Super awesome. Um. I think what could possibly happen. Can I can I give you a theory, Chris? Yes. Can I give you a theory about how we could potentially see this this work? Yes. Um. We have in the Flash that that show. I think that show would be the catalyst for it. Uh. Because you have the Flash and he has these. Uh. Like we are already kind of dealing with time travel a little bit. We're dealing with these types of situations. And there have been numerous times in the comic books. Uh. Where. Th- the Flash has been the catalyst for different worlds, like different uh, crossing universes, crossing into um, kind of in between worlds, and uh, that sort of thing. So I think potentially, if you have like a world uh, crisis situation, like a uh, mm-hmm. Infinite Earths situation, that you could potentially see this Supergirl uh, end up in the CW universe mm-hmm. and help them out a little bit, or to see them end up somehow in the uh, Supergirl universe. So I think, I think like a, a world crossing would, would satisfy, I think that, that idea of keeping both worlds intact with their own rules and their own um, established, you know, laws of physics and that sort of thing. Um, but it would allow them to be in a crossover episode or two. Yeah. Um, some additional news that's possibly more spoilerish. Spoilers for the next season of Arrow and what happened last season. <gasps> so, but if you've seen any of the promotional stuff for um, Legends of Tomorrow, you already know this. So, yeah. if you don't want to hear any of this, you can skip forward about maybe four minutes. Okay. Um, so, Constantine was canceled last year. Yeah. Um, but the actor who played Constantine, Matt Ryan, is reprising his role on Arrow as Constantine, and it's going to work into the resurrection of Sarah Lance, a.k.a. 
you used to be black canary, now going to be white canary. That's awesome. Um, I was always wondering why they didn't try to do a crossover with Constantine. Like, I mean, they had this this other DC Comics character, and it's like while his his I guess the style, the visual style, and the tone of his show uh, may not necessarily translate to Arrow. I don't. It's just it seemed weird to not have him cross over. You know, I I don't know. No one, Constantine. Yeah, I mean, it was. I don't. Well, it wasn't on uh, CW. I think it was. That's on- true. C, was it on CBS? Mm. And it didn't have the same producers was on, either. Was it on Fox? I think it was on Fox. Oh, you're right. It was on Fox. Fox you know, yeah. So there's like no relationship there. Right. That's true. Yeah. So um, I, I like the thing I like about it is just the fact that like, okay, um, I don't know that we would get this character otherwise because like they're saying like all the costumes are coming over. Uh, oh, wow. The actors no, coming it was NBC. over. NBC. NBC. Just looked it up. NBC. Yeah. yeah no, no relationship there. Yeah. So. It's cool that um, DC is allowing them to do it, and Warner Brothers is allowing them to do it. And NBC is willing to, I guess, let them use the costumes and stuff? I mean, you know, it's the production companies at that point. Like, NBC was just the the channel that was on. They canceled it. Like, they released it, you know? And at that point, you know, say there's, you know, DVD sales and stuff like that, that ends up, you know... Going, falling into the hands of the production company to to make that happen. So. I guess that's right. You do see that uh, where one network will let go a show and then it'll end up on a different network yeah. to finish up and, and things like that. Yeah, so uh, I think it's pretty cool. It You know, I, who knows, man? Like, I, what's going to be interesting, uh, we were talking about this, how Legend of Tomorrow is going to air basically in the mid-season break is yeah, what it th- seems like. That's what the, they haven't quite announced when it exactly will will begin airing. It'll begin shooting in the next couple of weeks, but yeah. uh, but it'll the the speculation is that that would be one of the the shows that would be primed to air like Agents of Shield did yeah. with Agent Carter last year, where right. one, one, you know Arrow ends for the year and then or for the mid season, and then in that huge two month gap which it usually is a lot longer for like Arrow and things than it is for other shows, um, you would have Legends of Tomorrow. So Right. Um, so that's pretty cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, they said that the uh, that Arrow and Flash will both have kind of um, a flashback, or not flashback, a prequel um, uh, episodes to Legends of Tomorrow. So, so like they'll lead into it somehow. That's cool. So well, I mean, like, I mean, I that could be a cool place to go for the mid-season breaks, you know, sure. something that leads straight into that, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, and think about the way we did, uh, we kind of tested the flash, uh, with the mid-season finale yeah. and the, uh, yeah, the two episodes leading up to the mid-season finale, um, uh, for Arrow, like w- whatever season that was, season two of Arrow, right? Uh, we had the flash who kind of came in there, um, for a couple episodes. So, so something like that would be really cool. Um, Yeah. And that way you wouldn't have to explain uh, six month. You know, <laughs> Barry's been in, in a coma six for six cap. six months or whatever right. before his right. show starts. So, yeah, yeah. Speaking, again, what was that? Speaking of those shows, yes. All right, so we have a dilemma. Yeah, we do have a you dilemma. You and I. Okay, so we do. Um, we last year we did two podcasts. We've been doing Arrow on Target for a while now. Yeah, for two, two years, seasons. Two, two seasons. seasons. Yeah. And we do Flash on Target for all of last season. Um, which uh, which was three shows every week. Yep. Uh, while those seasons were going on. Yeah. Um, which is uh, which was which was a lot. It was John. an undertaking. It was a very big undertaking. Not not to be confused <laughs> with the undertaking from Arrow season right. one of the Arrow. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it was an undertaking for sure. It was almost as hard as that. <laughs> but but no no uh, or, you know earthquakes were involved. Right. So, so 
with the Legend of Tomorrow, uh, the thought uh, and. It's just we're, just, we're there's no way we can add a third podcast onto this. Correct. I mean, yeah, um, a lot and of- also, you know, there's Supergirl who could end up in the same universe. Like, we definitely can't add a fourth podcast <laughs> right, onto this. Right. At the rate that we were doing it before. Yes. So we have we have some thoughts, and we want to hear from you, the listeners. Yeah. Tweet at us at Stay on Target Pod. Yeah. And let us know what you think we should do. Um, we are thinking about uh, doing. Um, Basically, one of two things. Yeah, there's there's options here. There's options. So we're thinking about like last week or last year, we would both watch Arrow and Flash, mm-hmm. and um, and then review them together. Yeah, and it was they were they were fairly uh, re- like they were pretty long a lot of times. Yeah. Like I mean, they were about forty minute episodes. Uh, yeah. a lot of times. And so whenever you were were adding both forty minute episodes to our standard one hour episode, you're you're right. looking at you know two and a half hours worth of us talking. Right, so what we're looking at is next season, possibly, John and I both taking one of the series mm-hmm. and reviewing that. And then discussing it with each other, uh-huh. obviously, you know, going into full spoilers in about a or whatever. Fi- in about a 15-minute yeah, so- um, per episode, 15 to 20-minute per episode right. podcast. So like a, a little bit of a, a, a basically more frequent truncated episodes yes. that way. Um, keeping the same release schedule, where there's two a week, but shorter episodes with... Uh, only one of us having to, you know, carrying most of the weight for that. Right. Um, Legends of Tomorrow, we would do um, possibly, depending on, we don't know how many episodes there's going to be. We don't know what it's going to be, but it's also going to be over the holiday season. Yeah, I mean, if if that theory is correct and it's over the holiday season, um, then it wouldn't air at the same time as these others. But then again, if it overlaps at all with any of the other ones, then it becomes really, uh, right. really challenging as well. So what we're looking at is doing a season premiere, mm-hmm. um, doing any kind of like, uh, s- crossover Big type crossovers, yeah. Type episodes, and then uh, the season finale. If there's a mid-season finale, like we just don't know with this series, like what's yeah, going to happen the, with the new one, yeah. Um, so like, but just bigger episodes and not doing every single episode of Legends of Tomorrow, right? Um, and, and of course, like if you're covering, you know, if if uh, you're covering like the the season finale, and I guess you know you haven't done one for for a little while, then you'd you'd have a full a, like a really full episode. So it'd be like a a, a meteor episode, yeah. Um, then kind of the individual episodes kind of thing. Also, if we do a, a Legends of Tomorrow podcast, what should our podcast be called? Should it be called Legends on Target? Should it be called Tomorrow Tom- on Target? Exactly. Of on Target? Um, L-O-T on Target? I'm, I am a lot on Target. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much against that one. Mm, I'm against that one too. Uh, I like of on Target better than that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, let us know what you think. Yep. Um, we're open to suggestions. Also, what was our second... Oh, oh, wait, no, sorry. Be- before we move on. So Supergirl. Yeah. We're going to definitely um, review the, the premiere episode. Yep. On, on the main podcast. Yep. And we'll probably like put up a Supergirl podcast that we will at least do big episodes on. Yeah. Um, not sure what we're going to do with the rest of it yet. So maybe do like three episodes a season where you do the, the season opener, the uh, mid-season finale, mm-hmm. and then the season finale. Yep. You know, where you're, where you're recovering. You know, for the mid-season finale, we would cover, you know, what, what has happened up until right. that point. Maybe not go into the, the small in-depth things, but the, the overall kind of story arcs and those type of things. And like right. I said, those will be more meatier episodes. Yeah, they'll be longer. Um, and uh, possibly if they do cross over with At- Flash or Air, I just said Ash or Flaro is what I was about yes. to say. Flaro, <laughs> uh, Flash or Arrow? Um, 
Flaro. <laughs> that sounds like it's awesome. I, I love it, uh, dude. I, I, that's that's like the new thing. It's like some some. Super... Actually, I think there was a, a hashtag Flaro whenever they would fl- like they would cross over. <laughs> I thought grief. that was the uh, the hashtag for the crossovers. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it was hashtag Flaro. Good night. Um, so uh, <laughs> I love it. That you know, if there's any f- crossovers, we'd obviously do those as well. But that type of a format for uh, Supergirl. Okay, so the other option for the main podcast is doing that kind of a format for the main podcast. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it's just, you know, with all these things happening, with the the, the greater comic book universe, which we love, uh, expanding, and, uh, it, it, you know, in order to cover more of it, um, we kind of have to uh, maybe th- rethink some of the things that we are doing before. Like, so in order to have more time to cover some of these new things that are happening and to, uh, to obviously not spend all of our free time mm-hmm. uh, doing, doing those podcasts yeah. and to, to watching those episodes and things, we might need to just rethink about how that goes. And we may start something in that, you know, but we want to hear from you guys. So tweet at us and, uh, and talk to us about kind of what, what, what you would like to see, how you right. would like to see the arrow on target, the flash on on target podcasts kind of evolve uh over time you know because we want to serve you like you're the ones who uh who listen to this podcast listen yeah. to those podcasts and we want to uh to make sure that you are still getting you know what you want to to get out of these podcasts absolutely you know? like what is the fact you know is the is the fact that it's weekly is that what you like or you know would you like longer meteor things that kind of talk about the overall story arcs because you know like some of the episodes is like well not much happened right we can analyze this storyline but in terms of the overall plot and arc of the season you know mm-hmm. like not much happened so like are you you know do you like that or are you do you would you rather like have these kind of more top-down, 40,000-foot view, large episodes devoted to large swaths of the seasons. Correct. I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's what we're looking at as well is, uh, you know, we uh, we love hanging out with uh, and talking about this stuff, and we we, we love, you know, hanging out with and talking about this stuff with you guys and uh, to, to interact on Twitter and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's it, it's always, uh, we're always keeping that in mind and keeping those interactions in mind. So, yeah. the, you know. Just... And we in no way want to stop doing it. Right. It's the fact that we just don't have enough time Correct. to do all of it. Correct, Chris. Correct. We just need more time, John. We just need to invent a time machine like they do in Legends of Tomorrow. Yep. And yep. And just go back in time and talk about these things. Like, yep. I want to jump forward in time, watch all of the uh, this season, okay. and then come back and talk about them. All Let's right. just do that, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Just, we need to dedicate ourselves to... <laughs> to time machine building. Yes. So we need to quit both of our jobs to become just quantum physicists okay. and make it happen. Let's, we'll do it tomorrow. Phineas and Ferb this stuff, Chris. Okay. All right. Sounds great. <laughs> um, I guess that's the news. All right, John. So we're moving on to um, the unreview of Fantastic Four. Fantastic Four unreview. So, this is the first time we've done this. Where we promised something, yep, and didn't deliver. Well, this actually, I, that was probably happened before. No, it's definitely happened before. Okay, but not in terms of a movie. Right. It's review. not been like a uh, hey, we're gonna go review this, and then it, it's been more like we just would would say hey, and I'll tell you about this next week, and then we forget. I was looking forward to this movie, John. You were. Yeah. I remember seeing. I remember we walked out of what review was it that we walked out of? It was a, like a pre-screening review. Um, that we mm. did, and we walked out of it, and we saw the big movie poster. Yeah. Um, and uh, you were like, "I really want to see that movie," mm-hmm. and I was like, mm, "I don't know." I was like, "All the actors and and uh, everybody involved is, seems really good." I was like, "But I I just don't know if I 
I don't know. It's it just yeah. I don't know. I, I was I was a little bit skeptical. You were, and uh, apparently, rightfully so. So, yes. like, this is the thing. So, um, we were going to go review it last week, and we started getting wind that it was a bad, 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 bad movie. In fact, it ha- currently has a nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yep, just a twenty-six percent user score. Wow. So both of those are bad. Yeah. The um, the problem with this is, John. You know, we always talk about like, would you, should people go see a movie? Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, that's you know the the two questions we ask ourselves uh, within a review, a mo- any movie review. Should, is, you, go, should you go see uh-huh. it in theaters? And then, what would you rate this? Uh-huh. And uh, we couldn't even get past the should you go see this in theaters because the answer unequivocally is no. Yeah. If you were to ask me today, should I go see spend money and see this in theaters? I would say no. And obviously not because neither of us has exactly. We're not even going. Yeah, I mean, I and. Yeah, I mean, so I guess where where I where I come from on this as well is like if we were to review this thing mm. and talk you know extensively mm-hmm. and go in depth mm-hmm. into this movie, um, I I would hate for it to become just another kind of uh, a bash fest or yeah. like a uh, a bash cast. Right. Yeah, there you go. A bash I, cast. I like that. Yeah. Of of the movie because there's a lot of that you know because you look at the nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes and it's like. You know, I just don't want to add to that noise well, of, of, you know, of telling more people not to go see this movie. Right. We have the consensus. And I'm not saying that I will watch it and necessarily agree with every single thing. Oh, definitely not. Nick picked about. But I like, you know, I just um, if I'm not willing to go, there's some things that I'm willing to like, hey, I'll take a chance on Terminator Genesis, which we reviewed a few weeks ago. Yeah, you can check that out. Yeah. Um, t- uh what Link it? to it in StamTigerPodcast.com, the Terminator Teenage, Genesis. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles last year. You know, like, yeah. willing to bite the bullet on that. You know, like, About that one. Uh, but this is like, it's just so bad that I'm like, I don't even know. I don't even know what to do with this. There were rumblings of it, of it being bad early, too. So Yeah, so I want to get into that in a second. But, like, um, what I, you know, really, I guess the point we wanted to get across is just, you know, uh, <laughs> we we did our best. Yeah. Um, but we didn't necessarily want to spend the time or money watching this movie. And I, I feel like, like I said, you know, I feel like I can't legitimately um, say that. Hey, let's let's you know talk about the uh, you know the ins and outs of this movie, the the visual effects and all this stuff and whatever it is for the amount of time that we'd normally do like a, a regular review, you right. know, whenever this comes out to DVDs or whatever, let, you know, let's, let's revisit, let's talk about it. Let's see. I don't see. think I'd do a normal you review know, on this. I, I don't like, think I would if we went If we went to go see it and it was that bad. Yeah. I think what I would end up doing is saying, you know, like I liked these things and yeah. then the rest of it's bad. Yeah. Then don't go see it. Right. I mean, and so like, you know, in order to, to respect your time and to, uh, you know, respect our time, it's just, you know, that type of a, uh, that's not really what we do. No. You know, that's not what, what I like doing with, uh, with a podcast. But there's been some hubbub about Fantastic Four. I think we talked, maybe we talked about a little bit about it last week. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. We didn't talk about I think it on we the talked podcast. about it in one of the breaks. All right. So um, last year, or last year, last Josh, week. Last week, Josh Trank said that last year he had a fantastic version of, quote unquote, fantastic version of the movie. And it would have received great reviews. He said, you'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. 
Hmm. So I want to unpack and this He's the director bit. and the writer, right? He's the director. Director, okay. Um, I want to unpack this a little bit and do so with an article from Entertainment Weekly. I'll post this on the podcast, link to it in the podcast uh, notes on steamtargetpodcast.com. Yeah. Um, Entertainment Weekly article by Anthony Bresnikin. Um, it came out, uh, I think this came out on Friday. Okay. Um, and this is called, Why Did Fantastic Four Director Josh Trank Slam His Own Movie? So it's a pretty long article. We'll talk through it. As we go, he makes some great points, um, but I just wanted to, like, this, this, is, this is a great topic for us to talk about in relation to this movie. Yeah, I, th- I think this is going to actually serve um, the, the movie, you know, better to talk about this than to, you know, actually do a review. Yeah. What did Josh Trank do? That was the question people were asking all over social media on Thursday night after the director of Fantastic Four tweeted and then quickly deleted a message slamming his own movie on the eve of its debut. The 31-year-old filmmaker who became one of the industry's most sought-after directors following the critical and commercial success of 2012's dark, offbeat teens with superpowers drama Chronicle had this to say. A year ago, I had a fantastic version of this, and it would have received great reviews. You'll probably never see it. That's reality, though. Reactions Hmm. to this message, again, could be summed up simply, what did Josh Trank do? What had he done to the perception of the film, which is already scraping the bottom of the Rotten Tomatoes meter of critical reaction, earning just a 10% positive notice? Right now it's 9. By contrast, a film that has been universally body slammed by critics, Johnny Depp's Mordecai, collected 12%. What had he done to the box office for the movie, which cost a reported $122 million to make and tens of millions more to market, and was in dire need of attracting a major audience as 20th Century Fox sought it Sought to reboot and retain its license of the iconic Marvel characters. Now, can you can you look up real quickly how much money it actually made? Yeah, I believe it was around twenty million. It came in second place to Mission Impossible Three this past weekend, and um, ended up. Uh, I mean, that's far less of of projections. They projected, I th- I think that it would make around thirty to forty million dollars domestically this weekend. Um, and uh, it was just like a $20 million debut, something like that. In order to make this money up, it had to have to, it'd have to do just unbelievable numbers overseas. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I, the movie, I mean, think about how much it took to make, and then thinking about all of that marketing. I mean, there was a lot, just... I mean, there was a lot of marketing, because they, they knew it was going to be hard to get people to go see this movie based on the buzz. You know, friends aren't going to tell friends to go see a bad movie. And so they had to get everyone hyped to go see this on opening weekend. Like the opening weekend for this kind of a movie is its best shot because after word gets out that this is a terrible movie, sales, ticket sales are going to plummet. Um, and there's just no way to um, gain any momentum from a free fall like this. Yeah, I mean, and and like you said, overseas, like a lot of times they can, you know, movies can make something back overseas, but I like this it, one. I it don't, depends I on don't the market. Know. You know, a lot of times it'll be, you know, overseas totals will generally be more than domestic, but you know, that's over a, a larger um, twenty six point two million. Twenty six point two million. You know, so like if you can get get the Chinese market or something like that, you know, a lot of times, you know, like Transformers pandered to. Um, the Chinese market, you know, including a lot of Chinese scenes, exclusive scenes and actors and stuff like that. And so they made a lot of money overseas. Um, but this kind of movie, I don't know that it has the hopes to do that. Yeah. All right. Continuing with the article. Yeah. No. Oh, also, side note, we're talking about like they wanted to retain these Marvel characters. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did want to mention that, too. Like sometimes. So 
whenever you have a license on something like it'll expire after a certain period of time. And so sometimes they will like stealth release a, uh, a movie to like a limited number of theaters in order, like the bare minimum number of theaters in order to retain the license. Right. Um, this was obviously not that. No. Well, you can, we can save this for later, but just keep in mind, um, for us to talk about, do you, do we think that 20th century Fox, they rushed this movie Faster mm. than it should have mm. in order to get it out to retain these characters. When does a, the license expire? Is that something that it would have sh- expired? I think this year, if they hadn't gotten it out this year, mm. then it would have expired and gone back to Marvel. Interesting. So let's just keep that in mind. Uh, continuing with the article, what did Josh Trank? What did Trank do to the months of carefully coordinated public relations aimed at convincing the public that Trank didn't clash with producer screenwriter Simon Kinberg and others during the film's Baton Rouge shoot? Quote. None of those facts were true, and any of the facts that were true were spun in such a maliciously wrong way, end quote, Trank said in a June interview with the Los Angeles Times, with Kinberg by his side. Quote, if you ask anybody by name who I've worked with, from Simon to producer Hutch Parker, or my crew, or anybody else, they'd be like, we've been working really hard on this movie, and we've had an excellent time working together, end quote, he said. Quote, it's been a challenging movie for all the right reasons, end quote. Hmm. Even though major reshoots were undertaken to create a more action-oriented conclusion, the pair denied rumors that Trank had been effectively dismissed from Fantastic Four, while Kinberg and the studio retooled the climax in a bid to save a movie they saw as a catastrophe in the making. Trank also insisted this rumored discord didn't lead to Lucasfilm dropping him from a planned Star Wars standalone film, which sources say was centered on a script about Boba Fett written by Kinberg. Quote, I want to do something original after this because I've been living under public scrutiny, as you've seen, for the last four years of my life, end quote. Trank told the Los Angeles Times. Quote, and it's not healthy for me right now in my life. I want to do something that's below the radar, end quote. Those remarks were already being met with severe skepticism, and sources close to those films say, without question, Trank was fired from the movie after Lucasfilm executives investigated rumors of the Fantastic Four conflict talking to numerous figures involved in the movie and determined that he would be too big a risk for a Star Wars film. Interesting. So this possibly, this catastrophe of a movie, possibly got him kicked off of the the uh, Star Wars standalone film he was going to do. Man. So there's there's two, I have two feelings whenever it comes to that thought. Um, and specifically, it's, okay, so if, if his thought about, hey, I had a good movie a year ago and then something else ruined it is mm-hmm. true, mm-hmm. then it kind of sucks mm-hmm. if, if yep. you know, if he did get kicked off this Star Wars movie. Right. But then, on the other hand, if a lot of this other stuff is true about conflict with the with the studio and conflict with the writers and, and there's a lot of things going on there, right? you know, if that's all true and he's just, you know, he's unequivocally hard to work with, then... I'm kind of glad that he's not on this, yeah. know, that he got kicked off the yeah. Star Wars movie. I mean, business is business and people make decisions based on all sorts of things. Right. And so, I mean, you just, you just got to hope that the right call was made. And right. That the, the investigation was right. Correct. Right. Keep all those things in mind. Yeah. Moving on with the article. Trank's tweet as Fantastic Four hits theaters unraveled the entire facade. Based on his own words, we now know that Trank had been removed from the film, was not happy with the final cut, and he wanted the world to understand that the movie being demolished by critics was not the one he wanted to make. That reshot climax, by the way, is the main thing singled out in many reviews for being out of sync with the rest of the film and the character development that came before. So, that leads to another question. What did Josh Trank do 
it's the same five words, but they have a different meaning now. What was Trank's contribution to this film? What was his original vision? And would that version of Fantastic Four have been better received by critics and audiences? The movie earned just $11.3 million during its opening day on Friday, well under expectations, and is now on track to gross less than $30 million for the three-day weekend. Which we now know is true. Yes. The $26 million is, you know, yes, well below 30 Trouble on set does not always make a bad movie. Steven Spielberg was nearly fired from Jaws. Francis Ford Coppola faced the same threat on The Godfather. No one says Trank is at that level, and he definitely didn't survive the way they did or make a movie that anyone thinks is worth watching. A view, apparently, he shares. But it's possible to be a solid storyteller, crafting an ambitious film, and still run afoul of a studio, which may value quality and innovation, sure, but more often prefers budgetary discipline and adherence to a proven formula. This is why filmmakers with a distinct vision, like Shaun of the Dead's Edgar Wright and Selma's Ava DuVernay, chose to step away from expensive studio tentpole comic book movies before having to endure the inevitable compromises they bring. But since this article was initially published, several high-level sources close to Fantastic Four, spoken to independently of each other, have told Entertainment Weekly the rift on set was not about creative differences, but rather combative and abusive behavior Trank demonstrated toward the crew, producers, studio, and even the stars. It's partly linked to Trank's personal disputes involving accusations of deliberate damage done to the house he was renting as revenge over a dispute with the landlord, which sources say eventually manifested on set as hostility and frustration from Trank. Not all of these sources agree, however. Some who worked on the film say Trank broke for sure, but was driven to the breaking point by the studio, and that his clash was not with Kinberg, but Fox production president Emma Watts. According to several individuals who worked on the movie, the studio delayed casting and script approvals, slashed the budget by tens of millions from what was originally promised during the development phase, and tried to force last-minute script changes to the film just as principal photography was beginning. The list of producers, which includes not only Kinberg, but former Fox production chief Hutch Parker and X-Men first-class filmmaker Matthew Vaughn, suggests the studio kept switching up managers and expectations in a bid to save something that was clearly foundering from early on. Hmm. Fox executives desperately wanted to reboot Fantastic Four after the indifferently received big-screen versions in 2005 and 2007, but they also bristled at many of the traditional comic book elements that defined the characters. There was uncertainty about who should star. Michael B. Jordan as Donnie Storm was set from the start, but the studio wanted a different actor than Miles Teller for Reed Richards. Trank won that battle, even though he later developed a mutually disdainful relationship with the actor. But Fox insisted that Kate Mara be given the role of Sue Storm, and Trank treated her badly as a result. Some say he was cruel. Others say merely cold. No one says they got along. Different sources say Trank was indecisive. Others say the studio was hemming and hawing on his choices. Either way, the script was not finalized until late in pre-production and continued to change right through reshoots, which stalled crew workers who were trying to build sets, make costumes, props, and prep the movie. This created confusion and stress from the get-go that often boiled over among department heads trying to put together pieces of a movie that was still in flux. That's not in doubt, but the question is, who was at fault? This is the part I find extremely interesting. Some who worked on the movie insist that to Entertainment Weekly that whatever frustrations and conflicts Trank faced from the studio, they were normal parts of the production of a tentpole movie with a budget north of $100 million. Some theorized Trank was a talented storyteller, but not nearly seasoned enough to manage the studio's concerns, which led to a loss of confidence from Watts and simmering tensions between Fox and the director that only escalated right up to release day. Hmm. Other filmmakers have made the leap from micro-budgets to mega-blockbusters without such stumbles or volatility. 
Colin Trevorrow was known only for the low-budget Sundance sci-fi dramedy Safety Not Guaranteed, but managed to make Jurassic World without major behind-the-scenes conflict. As did Gareth Edwards, who jumped from the tiny monsters to a much bigger monsters in 2014's Godzilla, and is currently prepping the Star Wars standalone film Rogue One. While no two filmmakers are alike, some who worked on Fantastic Four say Trank may not have had the clout or the temperament to weather the often maddening frustrations of big studio work. Hmm. His now famous tweet, they say, is an example of that hot-headedness. We probably wouldn't have heard about this movie's backstage grief if not for that message, which revealed a falter in the uncomfortable smiles Fox and Trank had been showing. So this is really interesting. (laughs) This is crazy so far. I I mean, so... I don't know. And I like the, the, whenever he sent out the tweet, like whenever we were talking about this last week, uh-huh. I remember thinking to myself that I was like, man, I out of everything that you hear, um, you know, directors complain about or, right. or, or that sort of thing. Like very rarely do you have people that, that will just trash the movie. Basically. Well, like, I mean, and it, you know, it's like right before it releases. So you're basically saying, telling people don't go see this movie. But right. he's, I think, you know, I think he was also getting hammered with a lot of these reviews. It was like, man, this is not my fault. Don't blame me for this. You That's know, like true. I read a review, um, last weekend that it wasn't just a review of the movie. It, it was, was a review of him as so a director. It was basically trashing him. Right. And so he started sucks. getting all these, that's um, not fair. No, I mean, it's not fair from the reviewer. Right. Sure. So like, right. that's kind of on the reviewer. Right. Um, but you know, uh, it's well, and, and I guess, okay. So it, it, are, is there more to read? Oh, there's, 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 yeah, there's a minute more. Okay. Probably. Go uh, for it. Okay. So, yeah, I've got I've got thoughts afterwards. Back into the, the article. Until now, everyone involved in Fantastic Four has been so busy denying there was any disruption or, or chaos on set between the filmmaking team that Trank's burst of truth and despair is difficult to interpret. Even by those who've been trying to follow the developments on the film closely, is this merely more evidence of the erratic behavior those who worked on the movie have discussed anonymously or in the press? Or let's give Trank the benefit of the doubt just for a moment. Might Trank actually be the injured party here? That's what was suggested by Max Landis, the screenwriter of Chronicle, who has previously directed sarcasm and scorn Trank's way when the Star Wars film fell through. Although Landis wasn't involved on Fantastic Four, he seemed to side with his former director on Thursday night. Max Landis tweeted, Being honest in this business is incredibly hard. There's a lot of illusion. There's a lot of politics. There's also a lot of frustration. In a series of late-night tweets, he had this to add, Chronicle was, quote, Chronicle was an incredibly rare and easy ride. I also loved collaborating with Josh, who I think is brilliant and whose ideas inspired my script. I fought hard for him to direct, but Chronicle was a complete fluke. We had so much control because the movie was, in relation to other movies that year, tiny. But I didn't know that, and I'm sure Josh didn't know that either. In the five years since I sold Chronicle, I've learned the hard way, end quote. From there, Landis went on to address Fantastic Four directly. Quote, Josh didn't get that chance, and his second major project, after one with total freedom, was one with intense oversight. But I do think it's important to say that if you're not prepared going in to not fight like hell, but work like hell, it's going to get ugly. End quote. While fan reactions to Trank's diss of his own movie film were mostly of the facepalm variety, sources tell Entertainment Weekly this wasn't really his film anymore, and wasn't, nearly, wasn't from nearly the start. It must have been impossible to resist addressing what the critics were saying about that ending, that studio meddling had undermined a potentially innovative take on some classic superheroes. But the flip side from those close to the studio is that Trank's vision is the one you can see on the screens this weekend, and all the struggle and conflict was in service of trying to make the best version of the movie he delivered to them. 
Trank's defenders say his greatest crime would only be violating Hollywood omerta, that mafia-like vow of silence about the creative clashes that sometimes often take place behind the scenes. After sitting quietly while Fantastic Four was pried out of his fingers and smiling and talking about his desire to do original stories after a Star Wars film slipped away and watching as his professional reputation was being pulverized, those close to Trank say he just decided he didn't want to play make-believe anymore. But Omerta works both ways. In this case, sources tell Entertainment Weekly that yes, the studio was desperate to protect the movie and didn't want the story to focus on how the studio and producers were rehabilitating a troubled project, but they and Trank's representatives were also trying to protect the filmmaker from public embarrassment. With his angry tweet, many outsiders interpreted it as Trank biting the hand that fed him, but several individuals who worked on the movie now say he was actually biting the hand that covered him from public scrutiny. One counterpoint worth noting is that the studio's production executives has, have also escaped scrutiny for the handling of the film. Those on Team Trank say this freshly bitten hand of Fox was actually holding Trank up as a shield. Still, other sources say that as recently as last week, Trank was bullish on the success of Fantastic Four and sent emails to actors and colleagues on the film praising the finished product, boasting that it was better than 90% of comic book movies that have been released, despite the struggles to get it made. Maybe he was just maintaining that practice false positivity, but some who worked closely with him think the devastatingly negative reviews made him panic and decide to distance himself publicly from the, publicly from the movie. If Fantastic Four had opened to more positive or even mixed reviews, those close to the studio say Trank may instead have sent out tweets claiming credit. Although the ending to the movie did have to be finished with reshoots, as Mara's obvious wig attests, Trank was never fired from the film and remained involved in the process through the end. Some close to the studio say Fox now regrets not outright dropping him. How much Fox was willing to listen to him by the end and whether his guidance and vision were any good is where a planning split. At one point, everyone wanted to have their hands on the wheel. Now, no one wants to be in the front seat of this head-on collision. Here's what's clear. The studio buckled its seatbelt and braced for impact. Trank tried to bail out. <laughs> we still have a minute, like a little bit left. We can talk about that for a minute. So, oh, man. <laughs> so, okay. So, at this, this like point. Hydra, this is like a, dude, it's going to be a movie, man. Yeah, I was about to say, at this point, I would rather see the movie about the, the creation of this movie <laughs> than actually this movie. You know, it's like yeah. the... the the drama that's going on behind the scenes of, of creating this movie and, and the whole, like, uh, you know, they're all pointing fingers at each other saying, no, he's the one that did this. No, right. he's the one that did right. this. No, they're the ones that did this. No, they're the ones that did this. Right. And, and it's like, you know, there's a lot of that. I mean, there's going to be truth in all of it. Like there's going to be moments where the studio, you know, screwed up. There's going to be moments where he screwed up and, you know, th that's just the nature of creating art. But, man, I mean, it's just sad. Like, well, I just, I just find it really sad that this, this really cool uh, franchise mm -hmm. and this amazing license that they have mm -hmm. is so basically disrespected this way. You know, it's like, and 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 you know, you think about like the actors' time, and you think about all the people that worked on this movie's time, and it's just like, you know, th that this this tug of war going on apparently between the studio and Trank. It's just. It's just disservicing the whole movie. Exactly. You know? Yeah, that, that's that's the large takeaway that I get from it, for sure. Let's finish this up real yeah. quickly. Um, there's some good thoughts in here. Then we can kind of talk about this for sure. holistically. Yeah. Uh, continuing the article, among the filmmakers willing to play devil's advocate was Joe Carnahan, director of Narc, The A Team, and The Gray, and the almost director of Mission Impossible Three. Before disagreements with producers Tom Cruise and Paula Wagner led him to step down while the reins were handed to J.J. Abrams. On Twitter, he said, I think 
I quote, I just think of myself at roughly Trank's age on Mission Impossible 3, and if Twitter had been around then, I would have been a dead man with no career, end quote. Hmm. Carnahan also had harsh words for the fans he saw delighting in Trank's misfortune. Quote, the trolls had it in for Trank. If someone like Nolan had been behind, um, well, this is kind of crass, so I won't, f- basically he's saying if Nolan had done this, uh, it they'd be praising him, and if, uh, you know, since it's Trank, they're just going to destroy him. Yeah. So what now? Fox did not immediately offer a comment. Kenberg, too, declined Entertainment Weekly's request for thoughts on the subject, and Trank's reps certainly didn't leap to add more to this conversation. But in an interview conducted before the Fantastic Four release, Kenberg offered this oft-discussed discourse surrounding the project. Quote, what, do I think we, what I do think we had was a very young director making a very big movie, and a director that, for whatever reason, people were either rooting against or his personality troubled the press. So it just got viewed differently than any other movie that's a tough movie. We came in on schedule, under budget, with a movie that was pretty true to the original intent of the film. Whether people like it or not, it was his vision, which was more a more grounded, a more real version of Fantastic Four. Was it an easy production? No. Was it harder than a lot of the movies I've been on? No. But I may also have a higher threshold. I think there was something about Josh's identity that made him a good target. I'm not sure what that is. End quote. Fantastic Four will probably suffer Trank's words, suffer for Trank's words, but it was already on fire and going down from the barrage of incendiary reviews. What this means for the that already announced sequel set for 2017 remains unclear. If there's a winner amid this wreckage, however, it's probably Marvel Studios, which will likely reclaim the characters unless Fox can figure out how to salvage its franchise. Hmm. There are a lot of question marks in this story, and we may never know the answer to some of them. Was Trank's version of the movie better? Would it have been safer for him to keep silent? Who will take over the Star Wars films he was set to direct? One thing that's not in doubt, Chronicle was an amazing movie, and Trank had control over that one. Somewhere along the way, that control was taken from him, or maybe he lost it himself. No movie falls apart because of one person, however, not even a key figure like the director. Maybe he is difficult. He wouldn't be the first high-maintenance filmmaker. Maybe he's even erratic or off-putting. Again, those are far from unusual traits in Hollywood. For now, it seems Trank's troubles extend far beyond the film industry's tolerance for rambunctious, creative personalities. It certainly would be interesting to see Trank's original cut and find out for sure, but one thing everybody agrees on is this. That will never happen. Is Trank a good director? Could he be a great someday? The only way to find out is for someone to hand him another story to tell, and unfortunately, that may not be a bet any producer or studio wants to take right now. But the only things that outnumber volatile personalities in Hollywood are second chances. While we sit around asking, what did Josh Trank do? There's another question worth asking. What can Josh Trank do next? Yeah, I was about to say, what will he do? You know, yeah. it's just, yeah. So there's, there's a lot to unpack here. I think the main thing that I, like, I want to talk about, um, and then we can kind of get into the minutia of it, is like, is it fair for a, a, a studio to, to get a director who obviously has a very specific vision of, mm. the, of the movie mm. and um, someone who is used to absolute creative control? They mentioned and alluded to Edgar Wright on, in, on Ant-Man, and we talked about, like, on the uh, review how, like, you can see a lot of his fingerprints, but I honestly think it would be a better movie had he done it in his original vision. Yeah. Is it fair to give a, a very creative person this kind of thing, but then instead of saying, do your thing, you say, do what we tell you to do? Yeah. And all you really want is a manager. So, 
so there's a lot like there's there's a few things that you can think about whenever it comes to this like thinking about um large budget movies that are superhero franchises like these are the the cash cows right now like these are the movies that we discussed last or a couple weeks ago how you know we have all these spy movies coming out or whatever but the big move money maker right now is superhero movies yeah um every studio wants the big universes they're trying to to, to build big universes around these franchises um so to the point where they're they're even talking about a ghostbusters uh you know cinematic universe yeah and so which is it's kind of insane, but so the studios have a lot at stake here. The studios have, have so much at stake that they are exhibiting a level of control over their, their IP and their franchises that they're, they're doing. So even to the point where someone like Joss Whedon, who did Avengers one and who did Avengers two and did some rewrites for some of the Thor movies and, that, and has been guiding the, the Marvel cinematic universe for the past, however many years, mm-hmm. his contract ended mm-hmm. after Avengers two. Mm-hmm. And he's quoted as saying that doing Avengers two almost broke him quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And, so he's even saying that they, you know, with between him and the studio, someone who is really good at dealing with studios and dealing with t- tight deadlines and dealing mm-hmm. with budgets and dealing with all this stuff, it it was stressful on him. And this well, is Marvel that we're talking about. Marvel, you know, and, and the, they haven't made a mistake really yet. But has that been them? You know, like you think about the original Iron Man films, like the or okay, think about the original two Marvel films. We talked about this before, where yeah, it was Hulk and Iron Man. Both right. drastically different movies. Oh, yeah. Iron Man just happened to be the one that everyone grabbed onto and said, this is a great movie. And so that's the tone of the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Correct. And then they kind of just, you know, basically stealth relaunched the Hulk, you right. know, where, where they recast and that they, you know, while you may buy a, I think I was talking to, to somebody uh, the other day and, and she had bought a uh, Marvel pack of movies. Like, so it was, it was all the movies up until that point. Yeah. And it included... That Hulk movie, and she was like, "Well, I don't even think of this as in the same, you know, same universe or whatever." But it yeah. is, you know, and uh, so they kind of just stealth relaunched that. But like you, you, I don't know. And you have all of these big franchises that are huge money makers, and I don't know. You have a movie maker who is not used to dealing with the stresses of uh, of someone exhibiting control. Like, think about Joss Whedon. Even on TV, he said, he's like, you know, it actually works out really well. Like, the, the that Marvel uh, Avengers 1 mm-hmm. and Avengers 2 kind of workflow for him works really well because they have these ideas and they say, hey, here's, you know, four or five different major things that you have to hit in this movie. And he's like, that's exactly what TV would do. Yeah. He's like, you know, we would have, we would have like these things that you have to include this in your, you know, this in the season and this in the season. And he's like, and I would just write it. And so coming from that, you know, with tight deadlines and, and really tight budgets, it actually helped him out. Um, to not, you know, to be trained in a universe where he doesn't have complete creative control. Um, it helped him out to allow him to work well with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Whereas it looks like, you know, in this situation with Fantastic Four, he came from Chronicle where he had, you know, unlimited control. control. Yeah. And then, you know, you go into a, a place where they're saying, we're this is going to be the next cinematic universe. This is going to be the next thing that people care about. The big franchise, millions and millions of dollars. And, you know, he, he, he didn't hold up under it. And it's like, you know, so you wonder, you know, it's not his fault necessarily because, you know, 
whatever. It's not necessarily their fault because they had these expectations, you know, and, and he had these expectations and they were, they were at odds. Right. And if, you know, obviously fell apart. I mean, uh, you know, I think it's interesting because it fell apart, you know, like we're finding this all out because it fell apart, you know. I think, you know, conflict's present in any kind of endeavor like this. You know, Correct. You, you're going to have pushback. You know, you're t- we're like relating it to Avengers and Joss Whedon. The thing is, Joss Whedon can push pretty hard because he's Joss Whedon. Right. Josh Trank can't push very – I mean, he can push hard. Yeah. But I can't imagine that Fox is going to um, bow down to his wishes um, just because – it was like, who are you? You've had one success. We're the studio. We know what we're doing. Right. I will, you know, I will say I have not been impressed with Fox's handling of any of their uh, comic book properties. Mm. You think about the, yeah. the the X Men; those were like all hit and miss. Well, like um, the, yeah, I mean, the it was first like, Wolverine was terrible. Yeah. Um, and you know, so like they're not known for except for except for recently with the uh, the reboot of X Men, basically yeah, like First Class. Yeah, X Men First Class, like. That's like they are not known for doing good by their superhero um, franchises. Yeah, and and just their the the care of the characters, like you know, just keeping because because there were so many inconsistencies and and plot holes between from movie to movie with the X Men movies, right? And and so there's a lot of that that they just seem to to overlook where it's like, well, this it's gonna it's gonna make money because they're big characters. I know? brought up you know the fact that they're gonna they could possibly re, uh, lose the rights to use these characters yeah. as you know, it's an additional thing, you know, for the studio to push back on and say, we need to get this out. We want it to be our way. Like this needs to be, a f- otherwise we're going to lose it. Like, and that's, that's one thing, you know, um, it's, it's a- applicable in several different situations, but sometimes you squeeze so hard and try to hold on to something so hard that you kill it in the process. Yeah. And, and so thinking about the, the stresses of that, you know, that, that, universe like where where they're pushing for their agenda and he's trying to hold on to his thing you know it's like you've you have two two completely different parties trying to you know exhibit creative control over this thing and so no wonder you know it's like it's it's a no wonder situation Mm -hmm. you know um as far as whether or not they'll lose the license i don't know man even they they had to know that this thing wasn't going to be um, accepted, you know. Well, or, or, no, I mean, otherwise they wouldn't. I don't think that's true. Otherwise, they wouldn't make it. You know, like they wouldn't make the movie if they didn't know if they didn't believe in it. Um, but, or they, you know, that's the thing. Like, I don't know. Once you if, get, they had, if they had had more time, would we have ended up with a better movie? Oh, I, I think yes. I, I think you know, you you leave. Uh, I mean, if if he was removed from the movie like a year ago, like they were saying, like the rumor is, then. They only had a year to to put their thing. So if they had had another two years, they could have reshot everything. Okay, so that's true. Okay, let's let's assume that's true. Then why in the world? Like the, <laughs> the last movie was in two thousand seven. Why in the world did wait they wait until two thousand fourteen to start shooting this thing? Seven years later. Yeah. Whenever like, the, hey, we're gonna yeah. lose it next year. We better make a movie. Yeah. Like you, you should have done that. You know, four years ago. Well, these deals also like, like I said, sometimes they'll do like stealth releases where it'll be, you know, but not major franchises right. like the, that. The contracts always include like a uh, a hey, it has to release in this many theaters or to an audience of this much, and so that's gonna that's gonna come into play. So, but once you get so far into a movie um, or into production on a movie like this um you're already invested a lot like in monetarily and you can make back some of that like Mm -hmm. i would imagine it would become harder and harder to say we're not going to release this movie um 
as it goes. And the same thing is true, like with the license uh, basically expiring. Right. I mean, it's going to be harder and harder as you get further and further into the production of this thing to say, well, we're not going to release this. Like most movies, like most studios don't, like if they make a movie, it's going to get released, even if it's a small release because they, they want to at least recoup their costs. Right. The problem comes whenever you gamble with these big budget movies. And that's yeah. kind of the, the, the catch 22 that you and I have been talking about with superhero movies in general yeah. these days is that, they're, they're large gambles that could potentially have huge payoffs, but because there's so many of them, some of them are going to lose. Well, and you look at like just Hollywood, the, the, the climate in Hollywood and what movies get made these days anyway, and you look at there's – there's a huge break. There's like – they go up to um, – you know, they go up to like $25 million, and then there's a huge gap between $25 million and like $100 million. So there's like you know movies that are huge investments that are potential blockbusters. They're ready to gamble more on those than they are for the middle tier of movies. Right. And then if there's uh, like comedies that cost less and have lower budgets – they're like, hey, yeah, let's do those too, right. you know. But it's like that whole middle range is kind of gone right now. And so, with this movie in particular, it's you know, but I don't the, know. It but, falls into that top range where it's like this is over a hundred million dollars. This is a huge gamble, huge investment, and it has to go out. Well, let's this go back year. to my original question: Is it fair for studios to hire these very creative people with singular visions and, um, you know? A, a track record of wanting to do the things their way to helm these franchises where they, the expectations are that they will just do what they are told. No, I, I think, I think th- that the answer to your question is it's not fair, but I also think that the, in this particular situation, you're not thinking of, of like an Edgar Wright situation. Edgar Wright has a bigger track record than, um, than Trank does. I mean, yeah. Trank has, Trank has one movie. And so like you look at somebody like Trank where he has this, this lower budget thing that actually paid off really well from an investment standpoint and it had a cool vision and it was a, a cool movie, but then they potentially could have hired him thinking, okay, so he's an up and coming director. We're going to hire him. And then he's going to be happy to do our vision because this is going to give him a name. But then they ran into someone who was just an immovable force or an immovable object. That, you know, I mean, you know, but I also think that that's, that's like this, this weird, like parental complex. It the is studios having for no reason. Like, Oh, we're going to take care of him. And he's going to be thankful for us and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, that's, yeah. I mean, that's stupid. I mean, that's- Granted, like, for instance, like, uh, this happened with Alien 3 with F- David Fincher. He did not agree with the studio at all, and the end cut of the movie is basically not Fincher's cut of the movie. Right. Um, and uh, But Fincher went on to have a great career. That's whenever whenever right. you watch that movie, it does not feel like a David Fincher movie. No, not at all. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, this kind of stuff happens all the time. Even uh, Alan Taylor from Thor The Dark World was saying he, like, he did not enjoy that process. Right. Like, I would never do it again. Well, and even th- that movie was the one that uh, they had to fly Joss Whedon yeah. from L.A. To, to London to rewrite like while they were shooting it. Right. And he had to rewrite a, a section of that movie. Which that actually turned out okay. So, yeah, it turned out great. I guess, you know, like... But it couldn't have been fun from, from the director's standpoint. If, Fanta- like, if Fantastic Four had ended up not being a flop... I don't know that any of this would matter. No, it wouldn't matter at all. N- nobody would say anything. They would have, you know, as as the article pointed out, they they said, you know, they they stopped standing there smiling awkwardly. It's like we would still have these weird, like this weird feeling about the movie where it's right. like I don't know about this, but it would it would you know be fine because it made money, right? Um, and it like 
Honestly, like, so, so we going back to whenever they, they said he was taken off of star Wars because Mm -hmm. of this, you know, honestly, if I was Lucasfilm, if I was Disney, whatever, um, I would have taken him off too because, because regardless of whether or not it's true, there's so much, you know, there's so much blood in the water that you can't tell what's going on. Right. Well, and after an experience like this, like you're going to throw him into immediately throw him into another production four year production experience on a big budget studio movie. Yeah. And what, and what movies have higher, you know, the bar set higher than a star Wars film. Yeah. You know, it's just, that's gotta be a, that's, that's gotta be a nightmare from an expectation standpoint in the first place. Yeah. I don't fault Lucasfilm for, for pulling him off the movie at all. It's more like, it's more of a a theoretical question. I would rather, you know, like for instance, um, I would rather have them bring in someone like Joss Whedon or Josh Trank or something like that. Somebody with with a, a good vision, very creative person, a distinct style. Yeah, to oversee kind of the design of these movies or the 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 universe as a whole, and say we should do this, this, and this, and this. But then allow like more um, generic, I guess is the word, <laughs> directors that are willing to take strong studio um, oversight and um, and see what they do. And, I, like, uh, and that's that's me saying, you know, like, because at some point they're going to run out of directors. Oh, yeah. You're, well, you're going to run he, out of people like Joss Whedon. And well, I'm not already, saying... You already, you know, Joss Whedon, he's he's already said, you know, after that experience with, with Avengers, he's out. Like, he, I mean, obviously his, his contract was up and they, they, they aren't renegotiating his contract. And so, I mean, he's he wants to move on to other things. He wants to do his own things. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and so he's coming off of these huge successes in saying this. Um, Edgar Wright, you know, they lost they lost Edgar Wright off of Ant Man at, at one point, and so like you know that I would have liked to see that. Uh, I, I think you're right that it, at some point you have to you hired these people for a reason and you know, while you may have your, you know, cinematic universe planned out for the next, you know, till 2025, that doesn't mean that one movie is going to put you off, is going to set you off of that trajectory, you know? And so like just maybe putting out a movie, I don't know, like putting out a fantastic four, like a, a reboot fantastic four. If, if, you know, it's even if it had been his vision or even if it had been their vision and it was, you know, it's as long as it's one vision, it probably would have been OK. Like it wouldn't have it wouldn't have damaged the franchise, you know, moving forward. Whereas now with whatever happened and faults on both sides, it's like this, you know, obviously is in question. It's in question whether or not we're going to have another Fantastic Four movie at that studio. Right. Um I don't know. I suspect we will, though. I mean, I suspect that they have, you know, they have the the license, and they're not going to give it up that easily. Like, I think the only way that we'll see a a sequel is if they reboot it again. Oh, they're to- like that's what I mean. Is like, I don't think they'll do a sequel. If, but man, if I was uh, moving forward, if I was Fox, I would look at the deal that Sony just made with Marvel with Spider Man. True. And say, we don't know what we're doing with these characters. All three movies that we've put out with these characters have kind of sucked. And we want to actually make some money with them. So we're going to license them back to Marvel, allow them to come in, make us a good Fantastic Four movie, be able to include them in their Marvel universe, be a part of that cash cow. And uh, yeah, that's what I would do if that's I was an Fox. That's an excellent point. That's an excellent point. I, I uh, Yeah, 100%. But, but in order for that to happen, they had to put the movie out this year and retain the license. I mean, yeah, true. And so in that point, you know, but if, if that was the goal, <laughs> oh, then man. they shouldn't have spent so much money doing it. They, well, they, they at the very least shouldn't have marketed it. 
at all, you I know? Mean, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think they just hoped that people would go see the movie because it's a Fantastic Four. Like, I mean, comic movies are hot right now, man. They you are know, hot. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the overall feeling. And so, I don't know. Like, I think it's too bad for the movie. It's yeah. too bad for that franchise. It's too bad for Josh Trank. Um, you know, who knows, man? Yeah, I mean, I I love those characters. I love I love the idea of a Fantastic Four, um, but you know, I just I, it's it sucks. Like it's it's just sad. It's sad to me. Like what what ended up happening with this yeah. thing? The the push pull ends up you know hurting everyone in the process. Because yeah. honestly, more movies, more good movies are better for everyone in the end. Right. And it's like so whenever a bad movie comes out, you only get a certain number of movies every right. year, man. <laughs> Like, and part of me just wonders, like, you know, like, what's the solution to this kind of a problem? Because there's obviously a problem brewing out there with directors, between directors and studios on these big budget movies. And uh, so there's that, that to, to think about. Yeah. It's also like an interesting, like, um, interesting thought. I, I was, man, I can't remember the name of the movie. Uh, there's a documentary on Netflix um, that, uh, that basically talks about a movie that came out um, that, there was problems between the studio and director and the director ended up getting kicked off. The studio ended up making the rest of it. The director snuck back on stage uh, into the movie as an extra and all this kind of stuff. That's like, really funny. This kind of stuff happens more often than we think. Yeah. You know, I think that it's not always this high profile with this big of a movie is, yeah. the, is the pro is the thing. Well, and then what, like I said, you know, the comparison to, you know, with, uh, with Ant-Man Edgar Wright kind of leaving and, and, you know, we don't know the full story there obviously. And then, but with, uh, even people like Joss Whedon who, you know, like I said, it worked very, very well with, with studios and, and, uh, and, and put out really good product, even, even with problems or even with, you know, uh, I guess tension, even if he's at this point, if he's saying, Hey, you know, there's, there's an issue here, you know, where he's saying this movie almost broke me. It's, yeah, I mean, there's gotta be something, you know, like yeah. you said, there's, there's, there's definitely a solution. There's, there's a problem. There's definitely issues. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be fixed. And I don't know, I don't know what the solution is. I would, I don't know, because like, you know, for instance, even under my thing, where like if say Joss Whedon was just in an advisory role, then we may not have gotten the the phenomenal movies that were um, Avengers one and two. Yeah, definitely not the dialogue, because I mean, the dialogue at its core, it's like you watch a, a Joss Whedon movie, and it the dialogue is all just so snappy and it just feels that way yeah and so it's like if somebody else had written that dialogue or somebody else had done that yeah. you know the pacing would have been I mean, different so let, let me let me you know real quickly compare it to you know my least favorite movies are the captain america movies yeah and the directors of captain america they're working on infinity war like they are kind of the uh, example of just do what the studio wants kind of people. Mm. And in my opinion, those are the worst Marvel movies. I mean, I think, I think the we'll score infinity war. I, I honestly out. think, um, scores would probably back you up on, on that as well. You know, as far as, you know, just if you were to rate these things, you know, where would they sit in the, and I think they would be fairly low, you know, it's, uh, both of the, uh, the captain America movies while, while interesting and while I enjoyed them, um, they aren't ones that I consistently go back to in my mind and, and go, there was some, you know, that was the, that was a good moment or that right. was a cool thing or whatever, you know? So I don't know. It's, uh, it's interesting. It's, uh, it's going to be fun to, fun to see how, the superhero thing ends up because obviously it can't continue at this rate. Cause if you continue introducing new superhero movies and things at this rate, it's, we're basically going to get only superhero movies in Hollywood, you know, for, uh, in, in like 10 years or so it's, it, that's all the movies that we put out now. Um, so I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. 
Well, that's it for this week. Um, that big discussion. This ended up being a really long episode. Yeah, I mean, it's it's wild, dude. Yeah. Um, next week, uh, we're actually pre-recording an episode for next week, but we have some special stuff to talk to you about, so stay tuned. We've already teased it. I know. It's going to be great. We won't tease it again. We won't tease it again. But uh, stay tuned. You can find us online at stayontargetpodcast.com, on Twitter at chriswright250. And johnwright777. And at stayontargetpod. That's it for this week. We will see you next time on Stay, stay on Target. Target.